0: Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have good news in spite of the fact that there's a lot of not so great news happening in the world right now. I mean, of course, we, we can't ignore the fact that what's happening in the Middle East is uh, not impacting us. I mean, obviously it is. But we do have good news in the middle of this. I, I would wa- would it would, I would be remiss if I didn't at least address an update here on the good news part so far if there's any good news to report out of uh, the Middle East, it's this. The Global Jihad Day that we were telling you about yesterday so far has been relatively tame considering how far widespread it could be. There was a pro-Palestinian group of supporting uh, the, the, the rebels, if you will, at Harvard University, and they were kind of banished into a corner and now are being called out. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of uh, report of destruction or any kind of mayhem in the United States or in Canada. Uh, there have been lots of large rallies uh, happening internationally, and those rallies have been primarily to uh, uh, you know to show their support for Hamas. The big news today, I mean, obviously, the, Israel has been warning people in Gaza for the past three or four days at least that they would need to evacuate. And the UN tried to squash that saying, hey, look, there's 1.1 million people here you're talking about. There's no way they're all going to have a place to go from Northern Gaza. Uh, they, they Literally saying that this is an impossible uh, evaluation um, or evacuation rather. Um, it's interesting because um, th- there's new intel coming out. I mean, and again, this is this is good news in the sense that we're getting to the bottom of what's going on. There was a CNN report about uh, the fact that there was, in fact, intelligence uh, that did come to the U.S. warning about potential violence before the Hamas attack happened. Uh, we knew, uh, been talking with Lela Gilbert earlier this week, that there was a chance that Hezbollah would try to attack, and they did today. Um, but the better news in all of this is that it seems as though the Israelis are not on the offensive, but they are on the. Uh, the prepared defensive, and it, it's it, it's a horrible scene. There's no question about it. There is no good news to be you know shared out of there in terms of if you're trying to see the elimination of death and destruction stuff like that. It's just not going to happen. But the good news in terms of what's going on now, people talking about this, people praying for the region, and and maybe this is the the silver lining for me seeing the number of people who are actually willing to address what's going on there and saying, okay, well, wait, we as Americans and as Christians should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We should be praying for Israel. No question about that. That's a biblical mandate from the Old Testament, and we don't see it repudiated in the New. But what encourages me in all this, um, and, and I mean this sincerely, is the number of people who are looking at this, paying attention to it, and then asking the question, where is God? And maybe finding some answers. I mean, I don't, obviously God, God desires. Scripture tells us that all men, all people everywhere be saved. So, I mean, that that is the father's heart desire. It doesn't mean that everyone is going to be saved. It does mean that that's the father's desire. And I don't believe that God re- rejoices with the, you know, the shedding of innocent blood. And we talk about the number of people who have been killed there. There was a PR piece coming out of Hamas earlier today. That tried to indicate that there were actually more Palestinian casualties than Israeli casualties, but it is kind of difficult to measure when you've got the kind of sliding scale. Our brain says people who live in America are Americans, or at least, you know, documented immigrants. We know there's people who come here illegally as well. When you get to Israel, for example, it's crazy because there's what, six million people there. And you've got the Jewish component, you have the Christian component, you have the Muslim component that are all living there and trying to peacefully coexist. And then you find that uh, you've got these terror groups and the so-called, well, the Gaza area, the West Bank, that was basically ceded over to Palestinians 20 years ago. For those who are saying, we're just trying to live peacefully in our homeland. It's like, well, wait a minute. First of all, it isn't your homeland, it's Israel. Secondly, Israel is letting you, you know, this was part of a two-state solution. And then you elected Hamas to be your government. And I mean, it, I can't think of who the big, like say having the Gambino family or the, the Sopranos, you know, running uh, the U.S. government saying, yeah, fair and square, you know, great elections. 20 years later, look what's happening. They're, they're, they still use these tactics of warfare and they talk about the aggression. And, and you can read it time and time again. The number of Palestinians who are not Christian, because the Palestinian Christians have a whole different viewpoint of what's going on here. But the Palestinians who are not Christian, who are, radicalized Muslim. The, the the mantra that they've been sold is, Israel's bad, this is all Israel's fault, if they, they came in and took our land, and if they would just give it back, we'd be fine. Not realizing that as much as their religion, if you will, is important to them, and their faith is important to them, there's a big difference between the Christian faith and the uh, the Muslim faith, in that the Christian faith does not command us and compel us to kill people who disagree with us. Can you imagine if Jesus said, go into the villages two by two, declare the good news, and if they believe it, great, and if they don't believe it, kill them. I mean, that, that's nowhere in scripture. M- remember what he said, if the people don't receive the message of the good news, then shake literally shake the dust off your sandals and leave the town. And I know that kind of one-and-done mentality seems a little harsh, but that's what Jesus told his disciples, so why we should be surprised at anything else, I mean, that there's there will be people who hear the gospel and reject it and wind up accept, accepting eternal torment. But I saw a post, a Christian friend of mine out of Florida posted uh, earlier today that I wanted to respond to in this good news scenario here because the posting was basically listing all the reasons why Christians should be praying for um, Jerusalem and praying for uh, the Jews And it made the mention of Christians did not replace Jews. There's no such thing as replacement theology um, in in the body of Christ. And if you listen on the Bottom Line Show to uh, Steve Gregg and the Narrow Path, I know he's on in Denver, he's on in the Bay Area, I believe, and also in Southern California and San Diego. The Narrow Path airs for a full hour right before the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California. And Steve has the best explanation of the so-called replacement theology mentality that a lot of Christians have. He says, remember, the gospel was to be proclaimed first to the Jew and then the Gentile. This is, I mean, Jesus came and lived the perfect Jewish life on earth. Uh, th- There's a reason why uh, followers of his called him rabbi, because, I mean, he was, that's the closest thing they had to that kind of perfection. And what's interesting about uh, the Lord's, you know, way about him when you know, the fully God part, fully man part is, you know, Steve says, look, the, the replacement, if you will, comes not in the Christians to Jews, but rather old covenant, new covenant. And it's a very subtle change. But basically now, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so the good news of the gospel today is that there are people who are living in Tel Aviv, who are living in Jerusalem right now, and 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 coming to terms with the fact that if they see the war and just see it as a secular war, an act of aggression, you know, the, uh, the Hamas and now Hezbollah backed by Iran and Syria and Russia and ostensibly China too, they can look at this in the temporal world and say, well, we're being put upon, you know, please, you know, pray for us because we're seeking deliverance. But the greater good that is coming from all of this is, I mean, quite frankly, uh, that the gospel is being proclaimed. Their deliverance is not going to come in weapons. It's, it's not going to come in government. It's not going to, the Knesset's not going to save them. But what's going to save them, I mean, ultimately, we may see widespread loss of life throughout this battle. But what's ultimately going to save our souls is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Father, we just encourage uh, our our listening audience here that's praying along with us to keep in prayer those who are, affected by this area and understanding that uh, we know that you love all of your creation and you are you sent your son to begin the redemption process for all of your creation we know that those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb have our names literally written in the lamb's book of life and as my colleague chad bird likes to say the lamb's book of life is literally written on the hands of jesus i mean he is the living book he is the living church he's the living sacrifice. And so now the new covenant that anyone can be under, regardless of your background, regardless of where you were born, is if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord and Savior, then you will be saved. And we're grateful, Father, that what's happening in the world around us, though it is turmoil and uh, it is chaotic, it is also, um, well, it's it's also something that you can use and will use to bring people unto yourself. And I, I pray, Father, that you would use this time, even in the bloodshed, even in the turmoil, even in the chaos, to bring hearts and minds to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. You know, I, I, I love the thought of the baptisms happening. You know, the, the, the fact that people are, are coming to faith in Christ. People are, you know, with bombs going over their heads are still, you know, uh, that, that's happening. And we've seen rumbles of that here in the United States. In recent uh, weeks in particular, there have been places on college campuses. Remember Asbury and that whole big reunion in Kentucky uh, earlier this year, and then like Texas A&M, we talked about that a week or so ago. And now uh, there's a multi-site megachurch in North Carolina, uh, Biltmore Church, congregations in uh, seven different locations all up and down the Tar Heel State. <clears throat> they had a, uh, a mass baptism at one of their church properties in Fletcher, North Carolina a couple weeks ago. Baptized nearly 280 people. There were a few people who came to the worship service that day and were baptized, but they uh, th- they had a big outdoor ceremony where they've got a big uh, lake, a big area where they do the baptisms. and And I'll be honest with you, I love that scene. You know, when you think about Jesus coming up out of the water after John the Baptizer baptized him, and hearing the voice of God saying, "This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased," listen to him. Uh, it's beautiful, and it, it's just—it's—it's it's so wonderful to to see this happening. And this is a church too. Biltmore uh, goes back to the Fern Hill Baptist Church in North Carolina. Uh, it was located on the Biltmore Estate. They were founded with twenty-five members back in eighteen eighty-nine. And how exciting is it to see? the number of people coming to faith in Christ at a church that's got almost 150-year-old history, I know I, math isn't quite accurate, but the history that they have there and the fact that Lisa and I were talking about this just this morning, we were kind of having our little quiet time before getting into the work day and we were just kind of reminiscing over the place where we are, a relatively new home for us, and we were just kind of remembering what it must have been like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago on that land. And blown away by the fact that, you know, we talk about Hebrews 13, 8, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Knowing that he is eternal, so basically before time was spoken into existence, God, you know, Jesus says, I am. I love that. I've gotten to the point now where I get older. As I've gotten older, I get a little cranky when people say, you know, Jesus was this and Jesus was that. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean was? Is. You know, tell them that I am. Who I am—that's that's who sent you. That's who you serve. But as we were thinking about that, I said, "Yeah, now also keep in mind that if God, in fact, is eternal—and He is—then all of history is happening all at once. And what we're seeing is what we can process. You know, here we are. What at uh, you know three twelve p.m. Uh, Pacific uh, Daylight Time, having a conversation." And it's just amazing to think that all of this is going on. I think that's why when I see something that is, uh, you know, a a biblical in nature, I'm not surprised when someone will find a a biblical truth of some sort and say, hey, isn't this amazing how this applies to us today? I mean, case in point, Pastor Aaron Burke has written a, a brand new book that he calls The Unfair Advantage. And for anyone who's ever been in a situation in life where you say, that's not fair, um, yeah. How many times, a billion times, you've heard that? You've probably said it. Your kids have said it, or your grandkids have said it. But then you realize, well, yeah. When you're saying that, the reason you are is because life isn't going your way. You know, the the things that you're looking for are kind of, you know, in need of adjustment. But what if I told you that your faith in Christ actually gives you an unfair advantage for overcoming obstacles with people in the world? Uh, Pastor Aaron Burke, I mentioned earlier, has written a book. Uh, that takes a look at the life of Joseph and is designed to help us look at what Joseph went through, which is, you want to talk about unfair. Sold into slavery, sold to another family, falsely accused of sexual assault. I mean, put into prison for how many years? This is a guy who, when he was 17, had a vision from God, actually two of them, that just said, you know, you're going to do great things. And then the next thing you know, he's in the bottom of a well, you know. Next, what 13 14 years, it did not go the way God showed him. But when he wound up second in command for Pharaoh, then you understand that God had a plan. And every time someone tried to knock Joseph off that course, God would just redirect his path and say, No, you're going here, you're going here. Uh, the book by Pastor Aaron Burke is called The Unfair Advantage Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And guess what? Good News Friday. We have a Good News Friday giveaway, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, for any times you've ever found yourself saying, life's not fair, we've got some good news. Pastor Aaron Burke is going to talk about the unfair advantage you actually have as a Christian. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. 800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Have you ever found yourself saying, God, this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. The world isn't fair. Why am I not getting what I'm getting? Where's my breakthrough? Times, But you know, it's interesting how oftentimes it's not so much what's happening to you, That seems unfair or that might actually even be unfair. The question is, what are you going to do with it? And today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're going to get into a conversation about that very issue with Dr. Aaron Burke, who's the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Uh, He and his wife Katie started it about a decade ago. Radiant now has eight campuses throughout the Tampa Bay community. Uh, He's the author of a brand new book on this subject of uh, what happens when life isn't fair. And it's simply called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an opportunity we have a link for the book up at show.com. pastor aaron burke welcome to the bottom line show
2: i'm so honored to be with you thanks for doing this well we're grateful to, to
0: have your time here to discuss this because it really is just kind of one of those i don't want to say glass half empty glass half full situations but if we take a look at the life of joseph we could very easily paint a picture of how horrible things are how terrible things were and why it's not fair shake your fist at god and don't expect anything to change But that's not what we see in Joseph's story. Talk about where this unfair advantage concept.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was actually about three or four years ago, I was in a season of prayer, praying over um, some of our staff members at the church. And this girl, as I was praying for her, I just kept thinking about all the unfair things that she had been through. And Mm. her family went through a brutal split up and she had been neglected, abused, kind of overlooked so much in her life. And I just kept praying. I said, it's unfair what you went through. It's unfair how you you had to go through that. And then as I was saying that, I felt like really the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Aaron, it's unfair, but it's for her advantage. And I ended up writing that phrase down, the unfair Mm -hmm. advantage, and then looked at the life of Joseph, which is so many of our stories where God deposits a dream in our life. But that dream doesn't just become a reality. That dream starts us on a path that is many times painful, difficult, and I would even say unfair at times. But if we learn how to leverage the unfairness that we go through, it can actually be for our advantage. And we've all kind of seen that with our lives, where we look at moments where in this season, it looked terrible, and we were very frustrated, and we were going, God, I don't understand why. But you get through it and you look backwards and you go, oh, I get it. It had to happen to bring me to the destiny that God had for my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Boy, that's powerful wisdom and insight from Pastor Aaron Burke today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into Opportunity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. When you look at these seven keys, I mean, they really do. I mean, they obviously we're following Joseph's life here, but they really do have application in each of our lives as well. Talk about what it means to be a discouraged dreamer. How many people have you encountered in your pastoral ministry world? Aaron Burke that have come to you with oh this, this, and this, and that, the other thing, and they feel like they've got so close to it, but then something happens that keeps keeping them from engaging it and really embracing the dream
2: absolutely well you got to think of joseph's life i mean he 's a seventeen year old man that is working in the fields, and God gives him this dream, and he shares it with his brothers and his father, and you know he's, he was favored by his father, but even his father didn't believe in him, and they miss You know, uh, they said, there's no way that's going to happen. They misjudged his motives. And as they're doing this, the Bible gives us this unique insight in the midst of his discouragement. They said, and Joseph dreamed again. And I was like, oh, that's the unfair advantage. The unfair thing is when people don't believe in your dreams, you've got to keep dreaming. And how many times we've all tried something, it didn't work, We said something was going to change. It didn't change. We tried a new routine. It didn't work. But I'll tell you the unfair thing is that things don't always work out the first time. Mm -hmm. But I really believe that victory comes to those who just don't quit. And they make a decision that despite what my circumstances are, I'm just not going to stop dreaming and believing God for great things in my life. Even Acts 2, you know, it says, you know, he's going to pour out his spirit. And the reality of that is that. People are going to dream dreams, and it's both young and old are going to dream and see visions. And I think that's so important that people that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they haven't Mm -hmm. stopped dreaming because of circumstances, but they actually lean in going, God, what is the thing that you want to do through my life still? And I believe that's an unfair advantage when we keep dreaming despite the circumstances.
0: Boy, that book, The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity is up at TheBottomLineShow.com, and I highly recommend it, especially when you talk about the fact that Joseph represents for us what it means to be rejected, but then that doesn't mean that's the end of the story. I think a lot of times we think of that kind of rejection. I, I, I've seen this in, like, the uh, I, I like to watch video clips of athletes, and you see the uh, the, the the people in that kind of cluster of rejection. Uh, track and field racers that are, you know, running the mile or whatever. And at some point, somebody gets pushed, knocked down, you know, whatever. And they get up and come back and make this heroic recovery. How many of us do you sense, Pastor Aaron Burke, when we do get rejected in whatever we think our dream is, we don't look for a redirection point. We just kind of sit there and put sackcloth and ashes on and say, well, I guess this is my lot. I mean, it's it's not a really great way for us to go if we don't look for the redirection point.
2: Absolutely. You know, when Joseph's story is so unique, because when he's, you know, betrayed, rejected by his brothers, the people that are closest to him, there's never a point that we see over the next 13 years of his story, over multiple chapters of Scripture, that he's looking back at the hurt that they caused him.
1: Hmm. What he
2: does is he ends up making the most of the new season he is in. So we see that he arrives in Egypt, and he it's sold into as a slave to Potiphar's house. Well, then the Bible says he excelled in Potiphar's home. And I thought that I'm going, wow, Joseph used rejection as a redirection, going, okay, if this is where God has me, I'm going to be content, and I'm going to make the most of this season. Hmm. And you have two choices every time you get rejected. You're going to get bitter and you're going to look at the situation, and you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to think, man, I missed my choice, my, my opportunity. Or you're going to get better, and you're going to actually learn from it, you're going to grow from it, and you're going to actually see how God redirected your life. I heard somebody say at one time that y- you didn't get rejected, God rejected that thing for you. Mm. And I think it's really good, because don't we all have those moments where we look back And we see that relationship that ended or we see that job that we didn't get. And when we look back and we go, oh, God was actually protecting us to bring us to something better. So It's all about the perspective you have during seasons of rejection that make it an unfair advantage for your life.
0: Yeah, I'm talking with Pastor Aaron Burke today here on The Bottom Line about his brand new book called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into Opportunity. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm sure you and your wife, Katie, experienced some of this, what you're writing about. I mean, obviously you're looking at scripture for Joseph's story, but uh, maybe autobiographical in some cases where you literally made the move to say, God gave me a dream. We're selling everything we have. We're going to plant a church or two or 10, or well, at least in this case, eight. Talk about what it was like for you guys when it's like, honey, I've got this dream. Who had the dream first, you or her?
2: You know, I think it was both of us just um, praying together and seeing what God had for us. And, you know, like everything that God gives us in our life, you know, nothing comes into the full picture right away. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just kind of a slow kind of leak of what the Lord wanted to do in our lives and went through a season of praying. But it was honestly, it was a season that became very difficult for us. You know, anybody can look at someone, we're 10 years into this, and go, wow, it's an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is it's been a decade of real hardship, pain, trusting God. But that's where the unfair advantage comes in. The unfair advantage is that, you know, doing great things for God is really not about how great we are. It's how great God is. Amen. And he's good. And if we lean on him and we trust him, And trusting Him means trusting God's timing. So there are things that we believed for 10 years ago that have still not happened yet. But we're trusting God's timing, and we're still leaning into what He has for us. And so it's been a long journey, a fun journey, but I just think God's got something big in store for everybody's life. And whether it's to plan a church or start a business or raise a family that honors God— That dream is not insignificant, and God wants to help it become a reality, but it's going to be a process, and it's probably going to take longer than you want it to take, but it's going to be better than you could have imagined.
0: Boy, that book, The Unfair Advantage, seven keys from the life of Joseph for transforming any obstacle into an opportunity is up at TheBottomLineShow.com, and I highly recommend it. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Pastor Aaron Burke is my guest today here on The Bottom Line here on this Good News Friday. Uh, We have a copy of his book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. It's called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. We've got a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. I mentioned we have one copy to give away, but we have lots of other freebies in the prize category as well. Uh, Give Crystal a call right now at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, that's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, more of my conversation with Pastor Aaron Burke talking about the seven keys from the life of Joseph for transforming any obstacle into an opportunity. If you're struggling right now, you'll want to hear this conclusion. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Great conversation today here with pastor and author Aaron Burke. Today here on The Bottom Line, we're taking a look at his brand new book called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. And one of the parts of the story of Joseph that I always found so interesting is the part with Potiphar's wife, you know, where there's the sed- the, the seduction attempt and always give Joseph credit, you know, hey, he he was straight as narrow. He he did right by his employer, did right by God, et cetera. But as I was reading your book, I began to think about the seduction part and how it's easy for us to kind of get drawn in to things that knock us off the course of what God has for us. Sometimes that seduction though can be that kind of smelling salts, a wake up call, you know, if you will. Talk about how you describe the seduced saint that Joseph is. Um, for, you know, the unfair advantage that he had as a result of that season.
2: You know, the story is very unique because um, Joseph is working in the home, and the Bible says he was, he was good-looking, and she took notice of him. But then it goes on to say, and she kept approaching him. And isn't that how sin is? Temptation mm. is always this way. Temptation never comes at us once, and we reject it, and then it's, like, all right, well, I lost out on that one. No, the reality is that the enemy can't get in the front door, He's going to find the back door. He's going to find right. a, a window. He's going to find the chimney. He's going to find a way to try to get into our life. And I explain in this thing, as you, in, the, in that chapter, is the importance of having a life of integrity that honors God, which means being faithful in really small things and watching how, if you're faithful in the small things, you could be faithful in the really big things that come. So everybody's sitting there going, well, you know, I, I'm not cheating on my wife, so it's okay what I'm doing. And I would say, no, it's the small little things that actually break our character and integrity that Mm -hmm. we do every single day. And God really cares about them. You know, the one thing that I think was such a big takeaway in this chapter is what made Joseph make that decision of integrity. Mm -hmm. And I think it all comes back to remembering Uncle Esau. And if you remember Esau, Esau was, Mm -hmm. you know, his uncle that Jacob and Esau, they were the twins. But Esau's the one that gave up You know, for a bowl of soup, his entire birthright, the entire inheritance. And I've got to think that that story passed on to the 11th son of Jacob when it comes to uh, Joseph. And Joseph, in in the moment of that temptation, probably had a moment to think, I remember Uncle Esau gave up so much for so little. I'm not going to make the same mistake. And that's what we do when we fall into sin. We give up so much for so little that the enemy has to offer us. He always over-promises on fun and under-delivers on fulfillment.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: don't believe the lie of the enemy and go into what the the temptation is leading you.
0: And you know the, the danger here, Pastor Aaron Burke, I love the way you describe that there, because the danger for us is when we look at the things that God has blessed us with. Joseph had not one but two dreams. Joseph was getting, even in these lousy situations where he was, Joseph was finding favor. It would have been very easy for him to say, hey, look, I'm second in command. I mean, look at—I'm the man. This is happening. See, I mean, and, and, and the enemy gives you just a little whiff, a little hint of, well, see, it's working. God, God didn't lie to you. So, and this is part of the—you know—to the, the victor go the spoils. And the fact that he did remain faithful during that time, I, I think, is so very, very uh, inspiring and very encouraging. And I'm grateful that you brought it out in this brand new book. Pastor Aaron book, Burke is with me today here on the Bottom Line. The book is called *The Unfair Advantage*. We're looking at the, uh, the seven keys from the life of Joseph that uh, transform any obstacle into an opportunity. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. There's a part where you talk about being forgotten and trying to stay faithful at the same time, Pastor Aaron, that I'd love for you to expand upon a little bit, because I know that there's someone listening to our conversation right now that says, okay, I'm resonating with everything you said, but you don't understand. I'm not part of my church anymore. My marriage blew up. Whatever it is, I'm not on the job anymore that I thought I was going to be at. And the idea that we want to stay faithful in spite of the fact that it feels like no one notices, no one remembers, and sometimes maybe even God might feel that distant. Talk about
2: that. You know, Joseph goes um, from Potiphar's house, and he has a moment where he does the right thing when it comes to Potiphar's wife. <laughs> he rejects the temptation, but as he rejects the temptation, he gets thrown into prison. And isn't it interesting that we can do the right thing and get the wrong result that we think we should have in our life? Mm. And that's where Joseph finds himself. He finds himself in a season where he's left in the prison by himself. And i got to think of that. It wasn't just a day or a week or a month. He was in there, scholar cells, for around 10 years. So 13 years from the dream to the destiny, and 10 years of those, he's in prison. Eight years of that 10 years, he's without any hope until it's eight years in when the cupbearer and the baker come in. And they say, hey, we're going to remember you when we get back to Pharaoh. And you remember he interpreted their dream. And then what happens when they get back to Pharaoh? It says this crazy phrase, and it says, and the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Mm. Mm. What do we do when people have forgotten about us? I think a couple things are important. One is to remember that God hasn't forgotten us. If you think that people have forgotten you and there's no plan, you have to understand in the scope of what God is planning for our life, Right now you're in a dark season, but dark seasons are developmental seasons for your life. Mm-hmm. So you've got to lean into the fact that, man, there's a, there's a reason God's got me in this. Actually, we live life forward, but we understand life backwards. So when you get at the end of the season, you're going to go, oh, that makes sense. So you know God hasn't forgotten about us, but also there's a purpose in the prison. And this was one of the crazy perspectives I brought out in the book. And I won't give away all the details, but in the book, I thought, why in the world would God put him there for 10 years? And then I started researching ancient prison systems, and prisons didn't exist 4,000 years ago. It was a unique concept, but it was a concept that Egypt actually owned very well, because they didn't have their prison systems to punish their prisoners, but to actually reprogram them, to teach them. So what they would do is they would send some of their best teachers into the prison system, to teach the prisoners about Egyptian culture and life and how to really be a good citizen. And I thought, isn't that like God? God Mm. sends a man from hundreds of miles away, brings him to Egypt. He has a plan for him to rule over the country, but he's not trained. So he puts him in prison to educate him for 10 years, Mm. to give him the language, to give him the culture, to give him the customs, and then God promotes him when he's ready. And I want to encourage some people that are listening to this right now. You need to embrace the development that God's trying to do during your dark season. It's during those dark seasons you need to lean in. And you ask yourself this question, God, what are you teaching me right now? So the marriage fell apart. I feel alone. Lean into God. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he's trying to teach you something in the season that you are going to need when you get to your ultimate destiny.
0: Boy, that is good encouragement from dr aaron burke today here on the bottom line we're talking about his new book called the unfair advantage seven keys from the life of joseph for transforming any obstacle into opportunity we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com aaron in these final moments that we have together uh to kind of take us on just a bit of a jet tour but why, I mean, why Joseph, why now? Because things are seeming kind of crazy in the world, especially for people of faith. It seems like theres it's tougher and tougher to live out our faith here, and we may be needing to glean from Joseph more than we ever thought before. Talk about why this book is so important to be out right now.
2: Well, you know, our world is is in just chaos, and as it's in chaos, we have two approaches to make. We can say it's unfair what we have to live through, or We can lean into the fact that God has brought us into a season where it's unfair, but it's actually for our advantage. That now, when it's the most dark in the world, we can shine the lightest. So, what do you do during the season? Is you embrace tough seasons, knowing that it's through tough seasons God is refining us. God has given us opportunities to really be a light in the darkness, and I think this is time for Christians to really step up. You know, I've always heard it said that the way you discover God's plan for your life is that you look at your personality and you look at your passion and that'll show you God's plan. It's like, you know, you look at your design, it'll reveal your destiny. And that's the only way I've ever heard it taught until I wrote this book. and I realized we missed a crucial part. It's not just your personality, even though that's very important. It's not just your passions and what makes you excited, but it's also your pain. And if you're in a Mm. painful season right now, Mm-hmm. That will show you what your ministry is, because there's somebody else that's going through it, or will go through it in the future, and you're going to have some purpose and some some perspective to give them because of what you walk through. So don't be discouraged during the season. Learn how to respond God's way. I give you seven of them in the book. I think it'll give, be really practical to help you learn to embrace the tough season and make the most of it
0: well it's a very encouraging book though it's not easy to read in certain places obviously because there are some things that happen these obstacles uh, that we have to see as obstacles before we can turn them into opportunities but pastor aaron burke you've done a great job with the story of joseph and made it very practical for life here in in modern times the book the unfair advantage seven keys from the life of joseph for transforming any obstacle into an opportunity is up at thebottomlineshow.com pastor aaron burke thanks so much for being with us today here on the bottom line show
2: Thank you so much for having
0: me. Well, there you go. Pastor Aaron Burke, the book is called The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today here on this Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I know it's been kind of a tense day in the Middle East, and now with Hezbollah getting involved in the uh, in the fisticuffs as well, uh, we, we have a tendency to think sometimes here in the Western world, since we don't have any kind of real military fighting going on here on the, the U.S. soil, that uh, this is kind of, kind of new and unfounded, and oh my gosh, how could this happen in the world right now? Uh, as we continue, I want to take a look at another archaeological discovery discovery that has, uh, I think, uh, well, it's timely for right now regarding the weaponry that has been uncovered and what it might have been used for. I'll give you a clue. If anyone sees what's happening in Israel right now as a religious war, you'll definitely want to be listening on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues.
3: When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets, and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash today to set up a free consultation. That's slash C-O-V-E-R.
0: My thanks again to Pastor Aaron Burke for a great conversation today on The Bottom Line about the unfair advantage, that's what he calls the seven keys from the life of Joseph, for transforming any obstacle into an opportunity. We're giving away a copy today here on this Good News Friday, and I'd love to place it in your hands, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, as we hear the wars and rumors of wars, of course, what's happening in uh, Israel right now is is a declared war by, by Prime Minister Netanyahu. And what makes this uh, war even more interesting is the fact that you have two rebel groups, one of them uh, purporting to be the government of the so-called Palestinian people. I don't say so-called Palestinian people. There are people who identify as Palestinian there's just no Palestine. I mean, there was a region called Palestine. But as you heard me share on the uh, uh, the uh, National Crawford Roundtable yesterday, I think it was in the first half hour. It, it may have been in the second. Uh, and if that's the case, then you have to listen on the weekend or just go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can download the episode there. We post the entire National Crawford Roundtable podcast at TheBottomLineShow.com. Of course, if you never want to miss a week, uh, you can go to... Uh, any of your favorite uh, downloading sites, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your uh, podcast, and you can subscribe, and then you can just have it delivered all the time. We also do video at myhopenow.com, and I have to admit, my GoPro camera has been giving me fits the past couple of weeks, so more often than not, if you want to see me uh, early in the morning here on the West Coast, <laughs> doing the recording of the video portion of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, uh, you get to see my... Uh, my uh, alter ego jpeg roger there's just a picture of me up there but uh, and it's an older picture too anyway um, uh, that we we had a conversation about this whole region you know definition part of the battle in the middle east and what i brought up was i said you know there are lots of parts of the country that are known by their so-called given area name but they aren't actually that's not the real name of the city or the region. I use Hollywood as an example. Uh, many people talk about Hollywood like it's an actual place. But Hollywood really is more of a state of mind. I mean, remember the Hollywood sign up in the Hollywood Hills uh, used to be uh, a sign that said Hollywood land. And Hollywood is just, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know why. I'd have to, I guess I could dig it up, find out why Hollywood is referred to as Hollywood or Tinseltown but the reality is there is no city of Hollywood. There's a city of Los Angeles and there's a part of Los Angeles that's called Hollywood. But ironically, there is a city of West Hollywood that's actually been incorporated. They have a city council, the whole shot. But the, the idea, so the, the, the Palestinian argument is there are Palestinian people who live in a region that was referred to as Palestine, but there's not a nation, so to speak. And when the Israelis gave up, was it uh, uh, Prime Minister Sharon back in 2005, uh, made the two-state deal with the Palestinians. Um, the first thing they did was have a so-called democratic election, and they elected into office Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist group. I mean, I, I mentioned it before. It would like it would be like here in the U.S. We had an election, quote unquote, and Tony Soprano was elected president. And Karm was his vice president, I guess, or I don't know who would be. Anyway, so nonetheless. Um, so it, not that we don't look at the Palestinian government as legitimate, but it's tough to look at them as legitimate when they have decided, like, for example, that they planned this attack for months, if not years, and uh, planned it to happen on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, had uh, the start of Shabbat. I mean, there were so many different things. And then even today as I mentioned yesterday, the so-called Day of Jihad uh, happening on the same day as the uh, temple feast or whatever in Al-Asqa, which is the, the, the Muslim mosque that is built and lives at the area of the Western Wall. So, I mean, when you think about the, the idea that these guys are coming, seeking a peaceful two-state solution to what's going on in the Middle East, nothing could be further from the truth. However, we in the body of Christ need to kind of get over ourselves when it comes to the fact that oftentimes we think since we don't have wars and rumors of wars happening on U.S. soil, hasn't really been a major attack like this. Of course, it's nine eleven, and that was no small effort. But to now find um, us kind of looking at this and asking, could something like this happen here? There was a genuine concern yesterday that something like this might happen here in this day of jihad where Muslims worldwide, I mean, there's all sorts of rioting in the streets and you know, you, you, you find people who are Hamas supporters and now Hezbollah supporters showing up today after they attacked on the other bank. And please remember that this past Monday, Leela Gilbert was with me here from the, she's the uh, international religious uh, freedom expert from the Family Research Council. She's a senior fellow there. And that was the first thing Leela said when she said, I'm concerned about Hamas, but I'm waiting for Hezbollah, because if Hezbollah attacks on the other border, that makes it twice as hard and really just shows how vulnerable and exposed Israel is. So it's not uncommon for us to think of people of a strong religious conviction who also have a strong military uh, perspective. But if anybody understands that, it's Israelis. As a matter of fact, the Israeli uh, Antiquities Authority made an announcement of another discovery. Archaeologists near the Dead Sea found a, a set of steel blades and leather hilts, you know, remember the hilt is that little couplet thing. You're, if you're holding a sword or you see those swashbucklers out there holding a sword, and there, there's the hand grip, then there's the sword itself, then there's that round piece that goes that surrounds the sword and basically protects your hand. That's called the hilt. Um, I remember being a—I was today years old when I found out that, that w- that's what it was called. Well, someone, someone says, we're going to go out there and we're going to push it to the hilt. It literally means to the limit. If you pushed it any further than that, you would either knock the sword out of someone's hand or you'd do serious damage to them. So that, that's kind of an extreme measure of how far you can take something is to the hilt. And uh, But these there were some leather hilts here. There were some wooden hilts that were there. There were some steel blades and scabbards. And apparently they've been preserved exquisitely. They were in a cave for a little over 1,900 years. And that... that if you look at the picture, we've got it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Again, preserving biblical history. This is something I I think God really delights in, hiding things in 100 AD and letting us find them in 2023. They were actually discovered about two months ago, and what you see in these weapons is researchers say it was a long-distance conquest a local insurrection, and a story of empire and rebellion. Now, four swords and the head of a javelin, known as a Apulium, were stashed into the remote cavern by Jewish rebels uh, during an uprising against the Roman Empire in the 130s, somewhere around there. Remember, of course, that as we talk about our faith in Christ, one of the things that aggravated the Jewish leaders and the Jewish authorities, whether they be Simon the Zealot, or the you know Annas and Caiaphas and they they basically whether they were the the, uh, the the Pharisees the Sadducees or guys like Simon what they were looking for was that they thought Messiah was going to come and overthrow Rome and start the rule and reign right there so when Jesus shows up they're like well he's from Nazareth could anything good come from Nazareth and he's a carpenter for crying out loud That's not our Messiah. We expected someone to come riding in with a big train or whatever and and knock over Rome and and allow Jewish rule here on earth. Now, it just kind of shows how short-sighted that view is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world so that the world might be saved. And so, in many regards, when Jesus makes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, jerusalem on the back of the 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 the, uh, colt, he basically is he's kind of showing the religious leaders you guys were way off this is not some here here's my caravan here's my procession it's me and a donkey that's it and people putting palm branches down but it's interesting to see here are these weapons that were discovered in this cave and somewhere around 130 138 135 ad jewish rebels doing what trying to overthrow the government in Rome and it's so it's just so interesting to me to see where oftentimes it stays in a temporal conversation instead of a spiritual one but I have a final thought to share on this and why this is it's good news and yet it's a cautionary tale as well we'll look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you've got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, An anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, This listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one. Uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said hey i 'll put this up as a match let 's get bother bottom line listers involved to make donations large or small, and once we get to another fifteen thousand, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in pre-born clinics here in southern california so what do you say we're a couple hundred dollars in on this match i know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a 500 dollars or a thousand dollar donation maybe even a 2500 dollars knowing that it's a tax deductible and b going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies lives call 833-850-BABY 833-850-2229 or you can make a donation online it's really easy when you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website rogermarsh.com and click on the pre-born banner there let's save lives through pre-born $15,000 by the 15th of October we can do this welcome back to this good news Friday edition of the bottom line show I'm Roger Marsh and wow how fun once again I love these archaeological digs I do not have a scientific bone in my body next week you're going to hear from one of my kids who does as a matter of fact has a PhD in biokinesiology not me. I know how to talk about stuff but, uh, uh, and, and to try to understand and bridge those gaps. But uh, the Israel Antiquities Authority announced actually officially on September 6th that four Roman-era swords uh, with wooden and leather hilts and scabbards and steel blades that were somehow exquisitely preserved in a cave just outside the desert near the Dead Sea, they've been sitting there for 1,900 years. And apparently they were stashed in this remote cavern by some Jewish rebels who had been uh, staging an uprising against the Roman Empire somewhere around 130 AD. Now, here's why it's, it's interesting. When you look at the weapons, it's not that God does not call us to use weapons of warfare to either to attack or defend. As a matter of fact, look at Ephesians 6. It's all about the full armor of God the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the belt buckle of truth and the sword of the spirit. You know, I mean, it's very much a, how do you withstand the attack of the enemy? And if you need to go on the offensive, you're ready to do that too. But here they are at 130 AD, Jesus has come and gone. Messiah has been there and left. And these poor Jewish people are still doing what they can to try to overthrow the government. It's a word of caution for you and me, brothers and sisters, because we have an election season, election cycle coming up. And elections are important. I believe Christians can change the culture and have a positive impact for the culture when we do cast our vote. Our, what we say at the ballot box speaks volumes. It'll, especially when you look at what's happening today in the Middle East and the whole idea of the uh, day of rage and, you know, and the attacks, if you have a president that has a lousy foreign policy plan, like our current president does, Uh, when you compare it to the president we had prior to that, who had a very strong foreign policy plan that was uh, basically religious liberty first and also, uh, you know, U.S. supporting Israel. What a difference a few days can make depending on who wins the election. So I'm not saying don't vote. Please do. But please understand, too, these Jewish men will be remembered back from 130 AD, will be remembered for the fact that they tried to do a physical overthrow of the Roman government and it didn't work. And all we have left is evidence that they had some pretty good weapons of war, still didn't work because the weapons of war they needed were the sword and shield of the Holy Spirit and not the handmade craftsmanship of the order of the day. Brothers and sisters, if we are trying to fight battles like the one going on in Israel right now and we're not starting on our knees, then we will wind up on our knees and it won't be for religious reasons. That is the good news and that's the bottom line. And Lord God, please bring peace to our world. Please bring peace in uh, your love. Do it your way, Father. We know that we can't do it on our own. We don't have that power. We can't just lock arms and everybody's going to sing Kumbaya and everything's going to be fine. We know that the real peace is the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Still got a few seconds left to call in for Pastor Aaron Burke's book, The Unfair Advantage, seven keys in the life of Joseph about transforming any obstacle into an opportunity. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, For our KCBC audience, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. By the way, Rabbi Schneider and his wife just made it home safely from Israel yesterday. Uh, On the other side of this break, a remarkable story about gospel star, star Kirk Franklin and how the gospel is helping him reconnect with his dad. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh, and boy, do we have a good news story for you. We're still taking your calls, by the way. Pastor Aaron Burks' uh, book, The Unfair Advantage, is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. It's seven principles from the life of Joseph that will help you turn any obstacle you're facing into an opportunity, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Recently, I came across a story that really intrigued me, and the reason it did is twofold. Um, in my family, my dad and my mom are still together. They have been married for 68 years. They've been together for 70 years. They recently, this past June, turned 90. They are nine days apart. And I won't tell you who's older, but dad's birthday's on June 18th and mom's is June 9th. So how about that? See, I didn't tell you who was older. I wouldn't do that to my mom. That would be rude and disrespectful. <laughs> Never give a lady's age. I always just tell people when my dad's birthday is, and then tell that mom's is nine days before. Anyway, the story involves a documentary and an album of music by a guy by the name of Kirk Franklin. Perhaps you've heard of him. Kirk Franklin is a gospel music superstar. He is just a dynamo, and I don't mind saying he's a little bit of physical size with a lot of bit of spiritual presence. Um, i had the kirk is maybe five five on a good day um i had the privilege of meeting him oh my goodness it was 1998 in dallas the uh, christian retail show and he had a book published about his life and we had read the book and the company i was working for had a chance to get an interview with him and so we scheduled the interview and um and so it was fascinating it was a young guy kirk is 53 so that he was maybe 28 you know and um he uh, it was interesting because i'm sitting there interviewing this guy and i'm in my 30s and we're going back and forth and i started asking him questions about his life and at one point i had just a notepad with my notes written down he got up from the table he walked around he grabbed the notepad he said where are you getting this stuff and I looked at him, and I said, you know, no disrespect intended, sir, but it's in your book. And he looked and then he kind of smiled and he goes, well, I guess it's okay for you to ask me that then. <laughs> I really, that was my first lesson in the publishing world of sometimes the person who uh, is the so-called listed author on the book didn't actually write it. Okay, fair enough. But Kirk has had he's just a fascinating guy in the sense that he's put together some really great numbers as a gospel music star sold millions of albums, toured all over the world. But his personal life, kind of tricky. His mom was a single teenage mom who was not able to raise him on her own. So she wound up uh, releasing him for adoption and the um, person who adopted him, I believe, turned out to be one of his aunts. He uh, His mom named Deborah. And she had kind of a rough and tumble life. And so Kirk had kind of a rough and tumble life. And then um, his aunt died. And that led to a very, very interesting journey for him. Kirk and his mom had remained in contact for a while, but he did not know his biological father. And so not knowing his biological father, all he really had to go on was his relationship with his biological mom. Now, the adoption part, he lived with his aunt, but he still knew who his mom was, and she'd see him from time to time. But about 25 years ago, they had a falling out, and he hadn't seen his mom for quite some time. Matter of fact, that was right around the time that uh, I was meeting him and doing that interview. Maybe It might have been something he wrote in the book. I don't know. But you know it's interesting when you hang around people who know their parents versus people who don't know their parents. Um it's it's very interesting to see how um how important it is to have that knowledge. You know, I just took for granted the fact that my mom and dad were married and uh, they, my sister was born. I came two years later. My brother came three and a half years after that. And good, bad, or otherwise, we love each other and we care for each other. And and, and I, I realized that's a real blessing. Um, my mom's dad passed away when my mom was 26. He uh, died of cancer. He died about a year before I was born. she 26 or 27, somewhere, that, but early to mid-20s. And she knew her dad. Uh, she was an only child. And she and her mom and dad were pretty close, but he also, he was a salesman. He worked for, in the nursery business. He, you know, bought and sold plants and flowers and things like that. And was quite the, uh, landscape designer when it came to backyards and things like that. He, um, he traveled a lot. And so he wasn't home all that much when mom was younger, but when he was home, he was completely there and fully present. The last couple of years of his life, um, God gave him, uh, an interesting kind of favor, which I, I always appreciated. My grandparents weren't super wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. My grandmother was a school secretary, and uh, a granddaddy worked for a nursery. But he got involved in sales, and he was really good at it. And for about a four-year period, he was making really good money by 1950s standards. You know, in a time when you could buy a brand-new home for $15,000, he was making like three times that per year annual salary. And it was you know, one of those things where you just go, wow. I think when my, uh, when my dad and mom started dating and my dad's parents met my mom's parents, they're like, oh, man, we can't, com- we can't keep up with these people. They're super rich. But then he was diagnosed with uh, cancer of the colon. And that colon cancer resulted in a colostomy. And they hoped they got it all. He had been a smoker his whole life. Uh, tall and skinny guy. His name was Homer Benilius and his nickname was Boney. As he was so skinny. But when he got to uh, a, a couple of years afterwards, you know, there's no radiation, there's no chemo. They just did surgery and tried to get as much as they could. And it spread from his um, colon to his stomach and eventually to the lung area. And he wound up dying uh, shortly after my sister was born. Now, I tell you that story because I know it. Our family knows it. He was very much present in my mother's life and my father's life. Uh, my mom's parents were probably the best example for parents that my dad had because his parents were, uh, they they had kind of a tougher existence. But I always have a a, a place in my heart, an empathetic place for people who don't have that relationship with their dad. And I have met a lot of guys over the years who were looking for a big brother or a father figure in their lives because there's just that hole. You just can't get it back. I can tell you the exact moment where I was when I officially became a man. Now I know you say, wait a minute, hold on a second. Is this suitable for younger? Of course it is. Of course, it has nothing to do with that. You've heard the expression that a boy is not a man until his father tells him he is. And you'll know when he's doing that. For my dad, it was a tough haul because he never had that with his dad. He had to kind of parent his own parents. And so I remember the day because it was August 5th, 2005. My parents were living in, well, they, had, they were getting ready to move to San Diego, but they had a timeshare down in that area, and they wanted to have a little event. They rented out a room at a, it was kind of a conference banquet room at a hotel, had a little uh, reception, there invited some of their friends from college. My brother's an ordained minister, so he was the uh, officiant for the ceremony. I was my dad's best man. My sister was my mom's uh, maid of honor, and the kids were there, and it was kind of fun, and we had a good time. Then there's a little boat that goes through the bay back there uh, called the Hornblower. It's kind of a cruising boat, but uh, for by some strange miracle, uh, I didn't get seasick. <laughs> I have the worst sea legs. Oh my goodness, they're awful, but. So we're out there on the boat and we're doing our thing and having a good time. And the kids and I were just kind of bouncing around on the dance floor. And my parents were dancing all dignified right next to them. And my dad came up and he watched the kids having a good time. And he watched me, you know, kind of interacting with them. And he put his hand on my shoulder like he used to when I was in trouble. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, you're a good dad. You've really got what it takes. And my heart just filled up with, you know, my chest was all puffed out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my dad says I'm a man. I was one month shy of my 44th birthday when I heard that. And I'm so glad that we have that memory. Because I think of the guys in our culture right now. And thanks for letting me, uh, you know, reminisce a little bit. I think of the men in our culture right now who never had that. I've talked to too many of them. Oh, that's, that's no big deal. I didn't need that for my dad, blah, blah, blah. You're lying. You want to know your dad and be known by your dad if you're a young man. And what we see in the culture right now, I think, is kind of a, this homeless, fatherless crisis that's happening here stems from the fact that a lot of guys... Women need the relationship for their dad too, but a lot of young men don't know how to be young men or haven't been told that they've grown up to be men because their dad wasn't present emotionally, spiritually, or physically to tell them. So back to Kirk Franklin. This is a guy who was working on an album back in March and he, uh, a family member had passed away. I think it may have even been his, uh, his, his aunt. And at the funeral there, there was a uh, family friend who was approached by a guy by the name of Rick Hubbard. And Rick Hubbard was talking, and they're saying, well, how do you know the family here and this, that, and the other thing? And he says, oh, uh, I used to date Deborah when we were in high school. And so they kind of looked at him and said, that's weird. So he gets a call from one of his cousins It says, "Hey say, Kirk, you're never going to believe who I met. I was at the funeral for whoever it was. And... Um, i i met this guy and his name is rick hubbard and he basically said he knew your mom so well that's really weird because uh you know i do my mom did they date did they ever yeah apparently they dated when they were in high school really so then his mind starts racing well wait a minute my mom dated a lot of guys she didn't get married And she got pregnant by one of these guys, and I've never heard this name before. Who is this guy? I'm just kind of naturally curious. And so he said, God just kind of sat on me and said, I need to find out who this man is. What makes it even more interesting is that even though he didn't know his biological father until he was very later on in life, in 2017, he met a guy by the name of Dwight Allen, Dwight Allen was the guy that his mother, Deborah, had always said, this is your biological father. And he was so angry at him. You're my biological father. And you didn't want anything to do with me, didn't have a relationship. So Dwight Allen, for years, was thought of as his biological father. He passed away in 2017, and Kirk went through this big thing where he reconciled with him and you know, forgave him, and everything was fine. Well, then this other name comes up, and he said, I don't know why, but it was just like God said, you need to meet this guy because there's more to your story and what he found out was truly incredibly remarkable we've got a link for all of this up at the uh, we'll get to the good stuff coming up next as the bottom line continues you can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds wilson financial has simply better alternatives
1: the last 12 months there has been almost 1.7 trillion invested in investment grade bonds This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility.
0: Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. There is a a new album out by Kirk Franklin called Father's Day. And there's a reason why this is so, so very important, I think. Kirk Franklin was born to a single mom. Uh, She was a teenager at the time. She had dated a lot of guys, but she honestly did not know who Kirk's father was. So at one point, he pushed her and pushed her to find out who it was. And she said, okay, there's a guy named Dwight Allen we dated for a long time. I got pregnant. He didn't want to marry me. He took off. So Dwight Allen, that's the guy. So Kirk was like, oh, my gosh, I got to meet this guy. He's my biological father. So they met. You know, are are you my father? Uh, Well, yeah, I guess I probably am. You know, okay, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm angry at you. Big old reconciliation. And he forgave him. And then Dwight Allen uh, took ill. And in 2017, he passed away. So Kirk believed for most of his adult life, that Dwight Allen was, in fact, his biological father. At a family member's funeral in March of this year, a guy with the name of Rick Hubbard starts talking to members of the Franklin family and said, they were like, oh, now, how do you know, you know, why are you here at this funeral? He goes, oh, I used to date Deborah." Really? When did you date Deborah? Oh, about, you know, 53 years ago. Really? So you're one of the, were you guys ever, you know? Well, yeah, we were kids and, you know, Huh. So. A family relative calls Kirk Franklin and says, hey, I just met this guy. His name is Rick Hubbard. He said he dated your mom. You know, he dated your mom. Why have I never heard this name before? I don't know. And the Kirk said, I just had this feeling that maybe just maybe he had a part in this. And so he reached out to this guy on the phone, just said, hey, you know, here's my do- here's my story, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, I really want to know if um, if you played a part in my upbringing. Because I was told this one guy was my biological father, but we never did a paternity test. Would you be willing to take a test? And Rick said, well, you know, I did a lot of stuff when I was in high school. I know I dated your mom. I know we were intimate. But I don't know if you're my son or not. But you know what? You got me thinking about it. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I will I will go ahead and take this paternity test. So he takes the test. The doctor calls Kirk Franklin a couple days later and says there's a ninety nine point nine four percent chance that Rick Hubbard is your father. Kirk loses his mind he goes, I got to find this guy. I got to look for him. He rings back and says, hey, where, where can I meet you? You can come to my house. OK, give me the address. Figuring he's going to have to travel all over the place. And then it turns out that they lived in the same neighborhood for a season, kind of close to where his mom was living. And so he reaches out again, and they meet, and they have a little embrace. And then he says, I've got the result of the paternity test here. And he shows him. and Rick says, oh, my gosh. This is incredible. So he calls his mom meets with his mom and says, Mom, I met this guy, Rick Hubbard. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, I kind of remember him. Did you guys date? Yes. Were you intimate? Yes. Well, guess what? I had him do a paternity test, and he came back positive as my biological father. And his mother says, Nope, that's not right. That's not... uh, The test is defective. It's it's faulty. There's no way. And And so Kirk asks his mom, What would it take for me to convince you that this test is accurate and this guy actually is my father? She said... I want to be there when he takes the test, and I want to be there when they get the results back. He says, fine, we'll do it. So he calls Rick. Rick says, sure, I'll do it. They go down to the clinic. They have Kirk's mom, Deborah, is there with her sister. Kirk is there. Um, Rick is there with his wife. Rick takes the test again, and it comes back the same. 99.95%, you are the biological father. So now there's the tearful embrace, and he says, well, you know what? You tell me, Rick says this to Kirk, you tell me on your time what kind of relationship you want. I'm here with you. You are my son and I love you and I want to have a relationship with you, but I'm not going to pursue you if you feel uncomfortable. Just know that my door always open. My phone's always on. You know, and, and how exciting for the 70 year old guy to meet a, a son he never knew he had. The next part of the equation is that Kirk had a relationship with his son, carry on, and something went down with them. Not quite sure exactly what it was, but there was about two years where they weren't actually um, connecting. They hadn't spoken to each other. And if you watch the video that's also called Father's Day about this reconnection, you see Carry on crying out to his dad saying, Dad, I texted you almost every day for two years. And you didn't respond. And Kirk says, yeah, I couldn't respond to you because of where you were, the choices you were making. And that's as far as it goes. So we don't know if it's drugs or some kind of alternative lifestyle, whatever it was. But Kirk says, well, I want to walk this road with you. Let's get to know your grandfather. And there's tears and there's whatever. Meanwhile, his biological mom continues to deny it. Nope, not him. Nope, there's no way. And uh, the reason I'm sharing this, the, the documentary is up on YouTube. Lisa and I watched it. And Lisa said, oh, she does not want him to know that she was actually dating that nerdy guy who might have had a little money but wasn't the kind of personality she wanted and she is mom's just in denial of the whole thing and so Kirk says well you know mom if you're not going to grow with me and my biological father here I don't know if I can trust you because you lied to me about him for so many years and so there's a bit of truth telling that goes on there The documentary, it's about half hour long. It's called Father's Day. It's available free on YouTube. And we'll put the link up. It's in this article here in uh, waynation.com about Kirk and his new album. Um, It's very interesting, but there's a quote that Kirk shares. Well, there's two of them actually that were really telling for me and very gripping for me. And I want to get into them a little bit more on the other side of this break because I think it can help bring healing to your family if this is your story. I know it can help bring healing to our nation if we'll address the issue but then it gives us another reason to fall deeper in love with our heavenly father when we come to the realization of how much he loves us let's talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about progressives don't want you to know that a baby once conceived in the womb is a human being And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well 833-850-BABY is the number to call it's really easy to remember 833-850-BABY or if you want to do the numbers it's 833 Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. A $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to Bright Radio com and click the pre banner today welcome back to this good news friday edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh remarkable documentary that's free at youtube uh kirk franklin uh the gospel singing legend who uh, had been told his biological father was a man called dwight allen and he had some harsh words for dwight because of abandoning him when he was a kid and uh, his mom was forced to give him up for adoption and They uh, apparently reconciled before Dwight passed away in 2017, and Kirk kind of let it go at that. Earlier this year, he was working on a new record, which he was planning on calling Father's Day anyway. He was going to release it around Father's Day. And a friend of his called and said, hey, I was just at a a funeral for one of our family members, and this guy comes up to me. His name is Rick Hubbard. And he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Rick. Who are you? And they start talking. And the person says, I don't really know you. Why are you here? It's a family gathering. Why are you here? And he says, oh, I used to date Deborah.'" Kirk's mom. Really? When did you guys date? Oh, you know, about 53 years ago. Really? How serious were you guys? As in, was there intimacy? Oh, we were serious. And then it kind of broke up. So this cousin of Kirk's calls up and says, Hey, just met this guy. Um, You know, and he says he dated your mom, that he knew your mom in the biblical sense. And has your mom ever talked about him before? No, never mentioned that name. So he calls his mom. Hey, mom, do you know this guy, Rick Hubbard? No, no, I don't. Well, maybe, maybe. Okay, yeah, I might have dated him. Well, how do you know he's not my biological father? Because the other guy, uh, uh, Dwight, never did a paternity test. How do you know? I don't know. So Kirk says, I'm going to call him and ask him and see if he'll do a paternity test. Well, he said, sure. He did it, and it came back 99.95% that Rick uh, Hubbard was Kirk Franklin's biological father. So he calls his mom. Mom, guess what? Rick's there. no, he's not. No, he's not. Couldn't possibly. There's no way it could be him. So he contacts Rick and Rick's, he says, Rick, my mom doesn't believe it. She says the only way she'll believe it is if you do another test and if we're all present when you do the test and then you're all, we're all present when you get the results. Okay, fine. He says, I'll do it. He comes down with his wife. Deborah comes down with her mom. Kirk's there with his wife. And Rick does the test again, and it comes back the same, 99.95% positive. So Rick and Kirk are all crying over each other going, this is great, dad, son, I love you. Meanwhile, mom's over in the corner going, this, this can't be right. Nope, I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. And Kirk says, look, I'm going to get to know my biological dad. And if you don't want to be a part of this and you can't accept it, then we're going to have to change our relationship a little bit. Here's the beautiful thing about this. We don't need a DNA test to prove that we are children of our Heavenly Father. He knit each of us. Every person who's ever been made has been made by the hand of God. So we don't have to prove a physical relationship with Him. But where the change is and where you do the paternity test is spiritually. When the Holy Spirit infiltrates your heart and gives you the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation, now when we do a DNA test, a paternity test with God, our Heavenly Father, it comes back the blood of jesus is running through our veins we are known by him and we can know him he continues we had jeff kinley on a couple of weeks ago talking about the book of revelation and how the 13 new things about god the father that he reveals to himself even as he's telling us about what the end of the world is going to be like as we talk about the beginning of our program here today those those different tools that were discovered in that cave Getty that were used by radicalized Jews who were trying to overthrow the Roman government, but it's God's way of saying, this is what was happening in 130 AD. And oh, by the way, I'm still here. That was not my way. It was for the Jews to overflow Rome. It was for Jesus to conquer sin and death and hell on the cross. But then there's the question of, do you receive it? And here's the truth that would set everybody free. And Kirk Franklin's mother apparently has chosen to believe a lie instead to her own peril. Kirk uh, wrote a song for this album called Somebody's Son. It's a beautiful, beautiful tune that talks about how he would give anything, all the awards, all the everything, to not be known as a gospel recording star, but to be known as somebody's son and how beautiful it is for us as children of our Heavenly Father to be known as sons and daughters of God. But then the real breaking point for me was watching him say you know i've spent so much of my life broken i wonder if i'll recognize myself when i'm made whole sometimes brothers and sisters that's a little too daunting for people who receive faith in christ and you see people backing away from it saying oh no 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 that's not for me no i just embrace the fact that the sanctification process is not only making you more godly but it's making you more whole And those wounds that you might have been holding on to for years and years and years, it feels so good to let them go free and let God heal the bruises and heal the scars. That is the good news. And that's the bottom line.